Uh, let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, another week where we are set to explore not only the book of Genesis today and tomorrow, but as we move into other subject matter throughout the week. Wednesdays is devoted to uh, finding Christ in cinema, and Thursdays, of course, are devoted to your very specific questions. Wednesday, by the way, Father Mike and I are going to take up Braveheart at your request, and uh, one of my favorite movies, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Now, that being said, what I do want to do is, yeah, just jump right back into the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 40, so if you want to pull out your Bibles and flip to chapter 40, and I think what I'm going to do is just read this whole chapter. There aren't too many verses to it, but uh, before I do, we have to remember that... uh, (laughs) <laughs> Joseph has been sold into Egypt, right? And, and as he was under the authority of a particular Egyptian guard, he became a blessing, right? And then Potiphar's wife lies to the Pharaoh, and ultimately he's confined to prison, and still yet he becomes a blessing to those who he meets. What else happened in chapter 39? Well, let us go back and read that before we get into chapter 40, because I think this is quite significant. We read in chapter 39, verse 22, And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison and whatever was done there. He was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Now, isn't that striking? Here you have Joseph confined to prison because ultimately Potiphar's wife accused him of sexually harassing her. So he's confined to prison, and yet because he was a blessing to those who were around him, the keeper of the prison did what? (laughs) Committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison. So what does that mean? Well, let us read about that because in chapter 40, we read about two figures that essentially were sent to prison. Verse 1, sometime after this, so sometime, right, after he was confined to prison, the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he waited on them, and they continued for some time in custody. So there you have it. In verses 1 to 4, you have playing out what we just read at the end of chapter 39. All right, verse 5. And one night they both dreamed, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning and saw them, they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, 
We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, I beg you. All right, before we continue with verse 9, just a quick reminder as we're reading these verses. Anytime there are questions, it is very important for you to stop and to consider what is going on because in a question, something is ready to be unveiled. In this case, why are your faces downcast today? And do not interpretations belong to God? Okay, so we're going to come back to those two questions. Verse 9. So the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches as soon as it budded. Its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and do me the kindness I beg you to make mention of me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should have put me in the dungeon. Uh, just a footnote here, that Hebrew word for dungeon can also render pit. It's the same word that was employed in Genesis chapter 37, verse 24, when his brothers threw him into the what? Dungeon? Well, the English renders pit, but same thing. This clearly is hinting that Joseph finds himself back where he started, cast into confinement as the victim of another's cruelty, right? which I do think suggests something, because when we hear the word dungeon versus pit, it's much more dramatic. It evokes something in our imagination, and we're made to consider that in of itself. All right, verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, isn't that interesting? <laughs> when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, so he sees that one interpretation was favorable, so he's thinking to himself, maybe, hmm, if that was favorable to him, he's in prison. Although I've done something wrong, maybe God will find favor upon me too. Now, let's see about that. <laughs> so the chief baker says to Joseph, I also had a dream that there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there are all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you with an exclamation point right in the Bible, and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Wow. So here you have the chief baker looking at this other interpretation, thinking no matter what he did, this dream he had will find favor upon me. Well, not so much. Not so much. All right. This chapter closes with these verses. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief butler and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief butler to his butlership 
and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Hmm, isn't that interesting? That's going to be a very important point of reflection for, for us this evening as well. All right, now what I want to do, as I suggested uh, as we were reading through this, I want to go back to verses 7, 8, uh, well, 7 and 8. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Why are our faces downcast? I like that question. When I was doing my Lexio Divina in preparation for this evening, for you and for myself, I dare say, <laughs> I was struck by that question once applied to me, once applied to us, right? Why am I downcast? Why are we downcast? Brothers and sisters, no God, no joy, right? But melancholy and being downcast. We desire things in the natural world, and they may bring us happiness, but a happiness that is only at best passing, right? We assume a position of power, and in the end, after we, after we have assumed that position of power, what do we want more of? Power. Uh, maybe we assume a position of prestige, status, and what do we want more of but prestige, status, Maybe we receive a whole lot of pleasure. And does it meet our deepest satisfaction? Does it meet our deepest desire? No, we just simply want more pleasure. We can have all the power, prestige, and pleasure we want, and it will never be enough. Because in the material realm, my friends, enough is never enough. We will always want more. And this is the deeper truth behind the Christian Vision, one that I've spoken to before. Because what Christ reveals on the cross is that, yeah, enough is never enough until it gives everything. But we can never attain the, the tutto, as they say in Italian, the everything until we have attained what is infinite, what is eternal. Okay? We are downcast because we don't have God. We are downcast because we have not received maybe that plenitude of grace. Remember that the word grace, coming from the Greek charis, is synonymous with what word? But joy. The more grace we receive, the more joy we will receive. The joy that is everlasting. This is why, by the way, my friends, I have always preferred, I have always preferred joy over the word happy. Now, I'm not going to make a fuss over this. It's not that big of a deal because when we talk about happiness, we can't put it in its proper Christian context. But to the language itself, I think it does suggest something that the word joy in its Greek root, charis, has the same root to grace, which of course is the great gift of God's very life and love. We will not be downcast if we live in God's grace. So when the question is posed, why are you downcast? Why are you downcast? If we were to transfer, transpose this question into our everyday life, 
I suppose on some level it has something to do with the absence of God in our life. We may think we can attain happiness here on earth, but like I've said, <laughs> all you will find yourself doing is wanting more. And often that wanting more doesn't necessarily leave you happy. I mean, this can be illustrated in something as simple as desiring a cheeseburger from In-N-Out Burger, right? You can have three cheeseburgers because they're so good. But when you're done with those three cheeseburgers, it won't leave you feeling very good. <laughs> okay? We want more and more and more and more. You know, why has suicide shot through the roof when at the same time they're removing God from the public square, from the public consciousness? Well, because, my friends, those two things are intimately connected intertwined. When God is in the public square, when God is in the heart, what we will find is not a downcast spirit, but the spirit of life-giving joy. Okay? All right, how about this other question? We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Do not interpretations belong to God? Brothers and sisters, all things to be interpreted as it points to revelation belong to God. When man tries to ascertain the meaning of spiritual things, certainly dreams, man, you and I, will come up short, clutching at nothing but empty space. Now, that is not to say that all dreams are necessarily spiritual. Remember, we talked about this a couple months ago, early on in our study of the book of Genesis, when we took up in a much larger context, the topic of dreams. Remember St. Thomas Aquinas, dreams can be broken up into four conditions, four categories, if you will. Mental activity, the physical disposition of the body, environmental influence conditions, and spiritual causes. God, angels, demons. So, to our dreams that are caused by the spiritual, we ought to sit down with someone we can trust to discuss such dreams, to help us interpret such dreams. Someone who might be considered a spiritual mentor or spiritual director, and one you can trust to interpret the spiritual. Okay, now I want to turn our attention to the last verse of this chapter, verse 23, because there you might find the most important verse to this whole chapter, for my money, okay? <laughs> Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. What is going on here? But ingratitude. Ingratitude. Gratitude literally translates as a release of grace, a release of loveliness, right? In the virtue of gratitude, we recognize that someone has done something for us, and in turn, we want to offer up an act of thanksgiving for that person to show what but our gratitude, which is a release of loveliness, a release of grace, a release of love. But we will not do this, as verse 23 highlights, if we have forgotten that thing that someone has done for us. In this case, the butler and what Joseph did for him. This is why many have called gratitude a memory of the heart or the memory of the heart. The idea in principle is to hold an act, 
that someone has done for you in your heart is to desire to do something for that person, right? That is what you call the memory of the heart, to hold an act that someone has done for you in your heart. And as you do, what springs forth from your heart is the desire to do something for that person. Now, as it relates to gratitude as response to a gift, there is a whole wide range in the importance of gifts. Donald DeMarco, in his book, The Many Faces of Virtue, as well as his other book on virtue titled The Heart of Virtue, he really gets into this virtue of gratitude, and he talks about this, how there are different levels of gifts, kind of lesser gifts and larger gifts. For, for, for the lesser gift, such as giving someone the time of day, a simple expression of thanks really, my friends, is a little more than a courtesy, right? But the larger gifts, like life itself, demand that gratitude include far more than just maybe a gesture of courtesy. Brothers and sisters, once again, when we transpose this discussion into our relationship with God, what we should understand here as it relates to gratitude is that God's generous presence in our lives should lay claim to a form of gratitude that is never satisfied by the mere recitation of thanks per se, but a deeper expression that might be found in a deeper action. Maybe we could say the kind of gratitude that God is hoping to find is one that includes a bond of friendship, which in turn leads to a commitment to service. I was just talking about how gratitude is the memory of the heart. As such, it is an expression of love. It is an expression of love and abiding friendship. And as it, as it is an expression of love and abiding friendship, it will then find the expression that soon transforms itself into deed. So God wants our full gratitude because he wants our continuing friendship, which enables him to lavish us with additional gifts. In the book of Genesis chapter 40, if the butler considered Joseph a friend, do you think he would have remembered Joseph? Of course he would have. But he wasn't a friend. He simply used Joseph. Now, all of us know how easy it is to be ungrateful, right? How a preoccupation with ourselves can cause us to forget our benefits as well as our benefactors. The butler clearly was preoccupied with himself. What does this lead to? Ingratitude. This is what verse 23 highlights. Ingratitude. And as it leads to this ingratitude, it weakens the bond. And this we should take into our heart because in our relationship with God, our ingratitude will weaken our bond with God and not only with God, but then consequently our neighbor. The great St. Bernard once said that ingratitude is a searing wind which dries up the springs of pity, the dew of mercy, the streams of grace. Ah, isn't that interesting? These men were downcast. What was I just talking about as it relates to grace, right? Certainly there was a release of grace from Joseph, but they were not disposed to receive it because 
they were, in particular here, the butler was ungrateful. So in the end, in this discussion of gratitude and ingratitude, we ought to be mindful that ingratitude leads to spiritual isolation. Joseph remained isolated. In turn, when we are grateful, which we could say is a triumph over selfishness and isolation, is most pleasing to God because it lends itself to friendship. Friendship. In previous discussions on gratitude uh, with the Eucharist, I have noted the great story that comes to us from legends in Judaism, how the virtue of giving thanks has always had a very high place in characterizing the Jewish relationship and the Jews in relationship with God. The great story has been shared, according to one Jewish legend, when God finished creation, he asked the angels what they thought of it. One of them replied that the world is so vast and so perfect, the only thing that could possibly be owed to God is what but gratitude. Gratitude. I absolutely love that. There is a story here shared by DeMarco about President Lincoln. I had read this and it was very moving. In 1863, during the American Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln was deeply concerned that America no longer seemed grateful, uh, gratefully disposed to her creator. And so in order to remind his fellow countrymen of their need to thank God and, and reestablish their friendship with him, he proclaimed, and man, do we need this today, a national day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Imagine Donald Trump proclaiming a national day of humility fasting and prayer for the sake of the country's well-being in relationship to gratitude for what God has done. This is what Abraham Lincoln said. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. He goes on, Abraham Lincoln, intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Oh, how I long to hear these words today from our president. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. Do you agree? Do you agree that we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all the blessings were produced by some superior in wisdom and virtue of our own? Do you agree that we are intoxicated with unbroken success, that we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us? Man, oh man. My friends, Lincoln's understanding of the importance of gratitude was profound. What was it that Abraham Lincoln understood? But in the end, a weakened relationship with God inevitably would lead to a weakened relationship with neighbor. Why do you think there was a civil war? One question is answered by the preceding point. The preceding point of in 
gratitude. I mean, could we not say that the virtue of gratitude is the least costliest of all the virtues? I mean, really. <laughs> How much energy does it take to say to your spouse, to your brother or sister in Christ, to your child, to your aunt, uncle, to your mother or father-in-law, thank you. And yet somehow, some way, it might be the most difficult two words to say. If not, I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe it's just our human nature where we, where we are more apt to grumble about the thorns on the rose than be grateful for its bloom and sweet fragrance. This butler, Egyptian butler, had forgotten what Joseph had done for him. And really, it was the last thing that, that God did for this butler through Joseph. How could he forget? Preoccupation, yeah. But an absence of friendship, which led to an absence of gratitude. Brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever the last thing was that God did for you should always be the next thing that you give God thanks for, right? Just as we might spontaneously cheer our teams when they do something great, that kind of spontaneous, robust response, should we rise in gratitude to give thanks and praise to God? And as we do, let us be mindful that we are literally, as we are reminded to what the word gratitude means, releasing loveliness graciousness, goodness. Amen? Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise. <laughs> special thanks and praise for the gift of this evening, this Monday evening, August 27th year of our Lord, 2018. For the gift of the beauty of your word, for the gift of the beauty of the relationships we have, for the gift of the jobs you have provided us with, for the gift of anything and everything that has been revealed to us that comes from you, we give thanks. Thank you. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.